helped us a lot lately. Of course, uh, Tim and Kippy are both uh, sick at home, and a number of other of our people are not well. So uh, please pray for them. I told uh, Eric, I said, we won't have fellowship time this morning. I said, not that it's going to matter. They're going to talk. They've already talked before. Especially, uh, there's some contagious things out there. When, when I get older, when your hair gets gray, your, your hair gets thicker. I have to get birds. <laughs> Got to come see our pastor. You've never seen a pastor like this, so uh, we still uh, want you to come to the couples retreat. We uh, the hotel has. Uh, we don't have the. Uh, room discount anymore. I, I believe you can still get rooms there. Uh, the information's in your bulletin. Uh, if you can't get rooms and you want to go, let me let me know. I'll see what I can do to help. But uh, we would love to have you to go <clears throat> and bring people with you. We have a good group coming, asking the Lord to meet with us in these days. Well, I hope you brought your Bible and I opened it up this morning to the book of Acts chapter 1. And after you locate Acts, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll look at those places this morning and have some other verses for you. Acts chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3. When I was uh, younger, I've told you this story before, but I want to take a little different emphasis off of it. Um, My mom wanted my sister to learn how to play the piano. So... uh, she talked to the uh, lady in our church that played the piano, Sarah, and uh, she gave her some lessons and bought a little tiny, it was called a lap organ. It was about uh, 18 inches long. In fact, I looked it up this week to see if that was the exact name. They still sell them on Amazon. It was red, had a red case. And, of course, black and white keys had an octave and about three extra notes at the top. And it ran on batteries. I still remember that. And so uh, Sarah lived uh, up the street here. You take a right and the second street up on Lockwood Court. And so Melanie went for about a month and took some lessons. And at the dining room table, she would go back there and put that little tiny little tiny organ <laughs> and and she would play the notes and so when she was finished she would go back and do whatever she wanted to do and then I would go back I was interested in it <clears throat> I'm a year and a half older than Melanie and I would turn it on and I would start playing and uh, 
I, I hadn't had any lessons. Melanie had. And so I, I w- would start playing stuff that made sense. Now, Melanie had lessons, and she was playing stuff that didn't make sense. <laughs> and and uh, But she was so sincere. But uh, anyhow, my mom said, well, would you like to take piano lessons? I said, well, I think so. So uh, Melanie said, Mom, I, I don't like to take piano lessons. So she said, well, I'll take Rick. So she talked to Sarah, and we made the journey down the road here uh, on Village Drive, and we took a right down here and a left on Lockwood for about uh, 18 months. And uh, I took those lessons, and, and of course, I, w- I had learned to play by ear. And it's a very difficult thing. Uh, in fact, my I got cauliflower ear those years of... <laughs> Of doing that, and I, I, I would try to do that now, but I'm, it hurts, so I won't do that. And so uh, I could just play things by, by hearing them. I heard a Glenn Campbell song uh, yesterday. I was listening to uh, Pandora, and it was an instrumental number. He didn't sing it. Uh, I am a lineman for the county or something like that, I think. Uh, Wichita lineman, is that the name of it? And I heard the opening line, and I thought, can I, can I go play that? Do I still have it? So I went in there, and I've never played that song before. So I went and opened up the piano. It was the same piano my parents bought me uh, after I started taking. It's in our living room. So I opened the keyboard, and Paula was running errands. And uh, I was downstairs, and that music was on. And I went up, and I don't know why I had this crazy thought. I thought, Dude, can I still play like that? And so I thought, well, that sounds like it's any flat. And I just played it, and, and I still had it. And so uh, about 18 months, and then I uh, basically got bored. And my teacher, Sarah, who's a good friend of mine now, she she's found out that uh, she would give me assignments and I would do the best I could with those. And then she discovered that I was just mimicking her. And after about nine months, she'd say, I'm not playing that. So I'm not going to, you you have to do it yourself. And I was terrified then because I was stuck. And I, I said, well, okay. So I can read music, but it was easier if she played it first. And then, um, a few years later, maybe more than a few years later, when I was a junior in high school, I had another teacher who passed away this past year, in fact. Uh, she was my music teacher in junior high school, and uh, she passed away. had a nice conversation with her just a few months before she passed away. And then I went to college, and I started to major in music. That was my declared major. major. I had a class my freshman year in school, and the class was called Harmony. And it was my favorite music class. I had all, uh, mostly classes. And the man that taught that class, his name was uh, Mr. Henley, H-E-N-L-E-Y. He was a violinist, played in the orchestra. Tremendous, tremendous uh, gifted musician. 
probably about 80 years old, had white hair, kind of like mine today, but it was white. I mean, it was all over his head. But I loved that class, and it really helped me. After my first year, I changed my major to Bible, but that music, that, that first core group of classes really helped me, uh, especially in accompanying other people uh, when people sing solos or something like that. Uh, with chord progressions and, and and so forth, and I loved I loved Mr. Henley's class. It was so so helpful. I still use it uh, almost every time I I play the piano. So he said, "Preacher, why why are you telling us all of that?" Well, here's why I'm telling you that because a few adjustments can make a major difference. A few adjustments can make a ma- major difference. And as I said in that class with Mr. Henley, I, I discovered that, oh, if, if I do this with the left hand and I change this with my right hand and I change this chord, well, that, that makes a huge difference. Just a, just a minor adjustment makes a major difference. Now, God has called us as Christians. He's called every local church to make disciples. And there are some adjustments that you and I can make that would make a a major difference in our ability as a local church. And I say as a local church corporately, but it's individually. We work as a team. We'll say more about that in a moment. While we work as a team, you do that. You're the one that makes the disciples. And we do that together, but we do that individually also. And so what, what is the is the difference maker in that. And it's not evangelism training. And training has a role in it, but it's not training without this particular truth. What is this edge? What is this secret weapon? And I've been talking to you about it these weeks, and I want to talk to you about it again. It's prayer. It's prayer. I want to talk to you again today on how to pray for lost people. How to pray for lost people. The initial step in making disciples is praying for people. The foundational step in winning people to Christ is praying for lost people. Because when you pray for people, it releases God's power. And when you do not pray for people, you are ineffective in the work of the ministry. This morning, some of you uh, taught people. and You stood up with the Bible. If you did not pray beforehand, if you did not pray over what you were going to say and ask God to help you and pray for yourself and pray for those that you were going to talk to, uh, you're going to be ineffective. Uh, one of the keystones that they even teach in the secular world is you, you do not teach a lesson, you teach people. You're not just teaching content, you're teaching people. And if someone has has a closed heart, if they're resistant to what you say, it doesn't matter what you say. And you need a a power that is greater than charisma or or humor or forcefulness. And by the way, all of this goes for parenting and, and everything else. And the edge that God has given you is prayer. I think sometimes we hear... 
great preachers and we say, I wish I had their vocabulary. I wish I, wish I had that dynamic personality. And we see them uh, as, as they prowl across the platform and say, well, I'm not like that. You don't have to be like that. You know, the Bible says, the Bible, the Holy Spirit does not have a name. You said, well, you just said the Holy Spirit. His name is Comforter. Those are his titles. That little line is marked in my Bible here, and I think that's our testimony sometimes. We've worked all...
discovering the heart of God. You get to understand more then. But he did have a spiritual gift of teaching, but but a lot of men that have a gift of teaching, they're not effective. What gave him a, an advantage was, was his compassion. Let me give you a, an example in Acts chapter 20 and verse 19. He's talking to some pastors and he said, serving the Lord. He's giving his testimony. He said, I was serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Now look at this. And with many tears. That's what Paul said about himself. And with many tears. Isn't that interesting? That was his testimony about himself. I served the Lord with, with many tears. Heard about a lady that came to her pastor and her husband wouldn't come to church. He was lost. And she was fussing at him, trying to get him to come to church all the time. The pastor had counseled her before. He said, just, just leave him alone. Help him. Just, just minister to him. Love him. Don't nag at him. She came to the pastor one time and she said, preacher, he just, he just won't listen to me. And he said, I know what's wrong. I know exactly what's wrong, why he won't respond to you. She said, what? And he looked at her in her eyes. He said, you have dry eyes. You have dry eyes. In other words, she didn't have any tears. Paul said, I'm, I've been serving the Lord with many, with many tears. You ever been in Sunday school class and the teacher's droning on? And Ephesus had Diana, and Diana was this tall, and she was this wide, and she was working. Now, those things are interesting. And Ephesus was a major academic center. I remember growing up, my mom used to watch that show. I was a little boy late at night. On Friday night, she'd watch that. I'd go to sleep with her watching that. Some of you older folks, you'll remember there was a show, uh, kind of a detective TV show called uh, Dragnet. I think the guy's name was Joe Friday. He was a detective, a little short fellow, and he had a real staccato voice. He, one of the things, I, I don't know that he ever said it. Actually, people said that he said it. Don't Google this right now, okay? It's one of the things I hate about phones. But it was the, the gist of it. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. You know, that's the way sometimes people witness them. Just the facts. They, they just, 
Let's just get it over with. There's no compassion. You know, one of the best things you can do, the, one of the best evangelistic tools, or listen to me, is just listening to people. Now, now you've got to get the gospel to them. But you talk so much, you don't even listen to them, and they know you don't care about them. And remember, people don't care how much you know, they know how much you, know. you don't listen to them. Well, they may die in the next five minutes, and well, I got to get this to them. Yeah, but they're not—they're not, not going to listen to you until you listen to them. Do you care about them? Pray for compassion. Pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. Now, when I gave you this, I told you something very important: that boldness is not brashness. Boldness is not a personality trait. Oh, I don't need to pray for that. I have that. Oh, oh, you're the one I'm not talking to. In fact, you're probably rude. The word bold in the New Testament means this. It means to speak openly. And with that reservation, it means I'm able to get to the root of the matter. Boldness is not pushiness. But it means I'm able to get to the the root of the matter. Now, let me ask you a question. I already know the answer. Do you struggle sometimes sharing the gospel with people? Yes, you do. All of you do. Even Paul did. You see, Paul's was bold, but it wasn't because of his personality. Paul was bold because he asked people to pray for him. I gave you this verse, but I don't give it to you again because I want you to think about this. Some of you, you don't witness because you say, well, I never will be able to. You have to pray. Boldness is not being brass. You can, you can be bold and, and be an introvert. I think some of the best evangelists are not extroverts. They're introverts. They're bold introverts. They speak the truth as introverts. Paul prayed and Ephesians 6 and verse 18, he's telling the Ephesians there as part of the spiritual armor, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching there too with all perseverance for all saints. And all of these words, I don't have time to talk about each one, but he said for all saints, this is the kind of praying. These are different levels, different types of praying. Watching, staying up all night, being alert, being attentive, that we're to give for everybody. And then notice this, and for me, now I have a personal request, he says. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly. It's that interesting. The one that, there's a caricature made that Paul was just willing to, to charge hell with a water pistol and he did, but it wasn't that he was this brash figure. That I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. Remember, he was in prison in Rome. That therein, that is in prison. And he says it again, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, in the book of Philippians, at the end of the book, he talks about the people that had been saved in prison. So we know that God answered this prayer. 
in Caesar's household. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who do you need to speak boldly with? Your boss, your barber, somebody that fixes your hair. Some of you ladies get pedicures, or is that your toes or your fingernails? I don't know. But you go get this. I mean, you, some of you know these people. You built a relationship with them. And you, and you need to ask God for a clarity and learn, learn to witness to them. God, give me boldness and pray for, pray for boldness. Number three, and this is for you, pray for power. Pray for power. Now, when I say pray for power, I'm not talking about something that is mystical. I'm not talking about something that's spooky. I'm talking about something that is very practical. Let me tell you what the word power means. It means influence. When God, when you have God's power on you, it means that you have, you have spiritual influence. God, you see, God's power is not according to your personality, your knowledge, and your gifts. It's upon God's spirit in your life. I was preaching in Pigeon Forge, and I was preaching on bitterness, and I was very weak, and uh, I couldn't go to all the sessions. And uh, but I did what I could, and so uh, as I finished, <clears throat> I think I spoke three times at that particular meeting. And then when I left the conference, this uh, husband and wife brought their daughter up to me, and they were all crying. And the husband was standing in the back, the, their daughter. Their son-in-law was standing in the back there. And she said, she said, I'm free. So I, I have been in bitterness against my parents. And there's been a barrier between me and my parents for years. There's been something that I've held against my parents for years. And they were crying. And this morning I faced that and God, God freed me. And then later on, someone else told me that. And, and here I was, a sick man, and, and frail and, and feeble. And feeling like, listen carefully, feeling like when you finish, boy, that, that was really pathetic. Because listen, when you have God's power on you, most of the time you, you don't sense anything. Because it's God's influence, it's not yours. The greatest need that you have as a Christian is that you would have God's influence. God's influence is when you speak on God's behalf that while you speak externally that God is speaking inside. When you speak to your teenager, when you speak to your children, that while you're telling them something on the outside that God's speaking to them on the inside, they're telling you the truth. You need to listen to them. And as a preacher, it's not just for preachers. This is not just for preachers, but as a preacher, that when the pastor is speaking, 
that it just doesn't go in here, but it goes in here. You need to listen to him. He's telling you the truth. This is something that you need. This is, this is spiritual influence. The early church had no power. I don't mean spiritual power. They had no electric power. They had no sound systems. They had no projectors. They had no air conditioning. They had no padded pews. They, had no, they didn't have all of the things that we have today. But the one thing they did have was they had, they had the Spirit of God. And we have the Spirit of God. But he doesn't have latitude. And when I say pray for power, really, power is the byproduct. The influence of the Holy Spirit is a byproduct of our walk with God. I really don't need to pray for power as much as I need to pray for God to help me to have a clean life. I ask you to turn to Acts 1. Look there with me. Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power. Spiritual power, influence, after after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, under the uttermost part of the earth. See, everybody that that possesses the Holy Spirit is not possessed of the Holy Spirit. So what do you mean by that? Just because you have the Holy Spirit, and every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but He does not possess you. He does not have control of you. And just because you have the Holy Spirit does not mean that you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You do not have His influence. Now I want to teach you something this morning. I I wouldn't die for this. I believe this with all my heart. I'll show you this. has to do with when the church started and Good people disagree on this. Most people think the church started on Pentecost. I believe the church started in Acts 20, and I think it's important. Because I think that Acts 20, what happened in Acts chapter 2, say Acts 20, but in Acts chapter 2, was the empowering of the church. Now, let me show you why. In John chapter 7 and verse 37... The Lord Jesus said this, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. I love this picture, if you can get it. Are you thirsty? Come to me. And then he that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly. Now, when he uses the word belly there, he's not talking about your physical stomach. It has the idea of out of your soul, out of your innermost being, out of your real self, out of the core of your being, out of out of your soul shall listen. Out of your soul shall flow rivers of living water. It's like a river. Almost every Sunday morning, and, and it played this morning. Uh, there's a song that comes on, and it just blesses my soul. It has to do, it's based on this song about this, this river of water that is in every Christian. If you know him, it's not this stream, it's this water that is in you. You say, well, who is that, Jesus? No, look at the rest of the verse there. But this spake he of the Spirit, 
This river that you have is the Spirit of God, which they that believe on Him should receive. For Watch this. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, when would, when would the church receive the Holy Spirit? When would they be baptized by the Holy Spirit? When Jesus was glorified. That meant that after he went to heaven, he, he was ascended into heaven. Now, when you move to John chapter 20, this is post-resurrection, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 20, look at verse 21. This is one of his resurrection appearances. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. That's one of the commissions, commission statements. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this to the group of disciples, we don't, aren't sure how many were there, he breathed on them. And saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now this is before Pentecost. Now, when you read theologians and people that write, they they say, well, that's a figurative statement. It's not a literal statement. But here's my problem, and and I'm not going to battle over this, but it has a practical application. It, It appears to me it's a literal statement. And when it says he breathed, it has the idea, it, it, he just. He said, he re- received the Holy Spirit. I believe that was when the church began. And I believe the church was empowered on the day of Pentecost. I believe that that's when the church received the Holy Spirit in John 20. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Now the word, the word tarry means to wait. Endued means to, it means to be clothed. It has the idea like to put your coat on. It has the idea of to, to step into something to, or to, to, to be clothed with power. So the power was going to come later as they waited. So here, here were Jesus' instructions. I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to wait. And they did that, but they didn't sit around and wait. Do you know what they did? You have your Bible open, Acts 1. Look at Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 12. Then returned they into Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. Now remember, I think they had the Holy Spirit here, according to John 20. I think they already had the Holy Spirit. Called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were coming in, they went into an upper room. Where abode both Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all, now notice, notice what they did while they were waiting. They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women 
and mother the Mary of Jesus and his brethren. They prayed for almost two months. They tarried, but they didn't just sit around at a potluck supper for almost two months. Pentecost, Penta meets five. In Acts chapter 2, if you look across the page in in Acts chapter 2, what followed in Acts chapter 2 was what happened because of this praying. Now you say, preacher, what would they pray? Now here's what I believe. I believe they had the Holy Spirit in that room. I think they they were cultivating spiritual oneness, but they were confessing their sins. They were walking with God. And then... Pentecost came, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, which was a a feast day for them, a celebration, they were all with one accord in one place. That was in the upper room. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like like this is a comparative word, a symbolic, as a fire, and it set upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. It said they received the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If you look at the Greek word, therefore, tongues, it's a literal language. And if you look at verses Five through after that, there, there are over 15 different languages. They, these were known languages. And what they did with those languages, they began to preach the gospel. But now watch this. They preached the gospel in Jerusalem when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But they were filled or they were controlled by the Holy Spirit because they had power. And they had, watch this, they had power because they had tarried and they they had confessed and they had walked. And now they had influence. Now watch this. Now they had influence. And when they witnessed, what happened? Now everybody thinks, well, Peter preached at Pentecost. Well, he did, but he wasn't the only one. Notice in verse 37, Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And said unto Peter, and look at this, and to the rest of the apostles, so more than just Peter was witnessing, men and brethren, what shall we do? How would you like to witness and have people say to you, what do I need to do? You see, they had influence with lost people. And this influence, God does not give his influence haphazardly. When, when I when I preach and, and and just take that incident up up in Pigeon Forge, I was just mentioning. I, I just needed grace to get up in the pulpit. I wasn't saying, "God help me." There's people out here that I, I just said, "God, I, I don't know if I can talk. Please help me today." And and everything that I brought to that pulpit in that moment, and everything I bring to the pulpit right now, is what I am. And who I've been this past week. Now listen to me. If I have not had integrity 
and been a man of God this past week, I, I have no influence right now. And you're not going to have influence with people at work with your witness if you're not going to be consistently walking with God. And then it goes on, it gives the marks of a great church there in Acts 2.41. And then they that were gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And I don't have time, you can go on and read the rest of, of the influence of this great church. I believe, I believe they already had the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit did not have them, if you'll allow me to say it. They weren't filled with the Holy, they weren't controlled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, just because you have the Holy Spirit living in you does not mean you have power, you do not have influence. And you need to pray for spiritual influence. Better yet, you just need to quit looking for influence and just add, listen, just ask God to help you be genuine. If I want power tomorrow, I need to be real today. If I want God to use me right now, I had better been real yesterday and the day before. This, this thing is serious. And so I pray for power. Let me show you one verse and we'll go into the next prayer request. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 1, this speaks to me deeply. And it came to pass in Iconium that they, that's Paul and Barnabas, were both together in the synagogue of the Jews. And so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. Don't you notice that? A great multitude of Jews and Greeks believed. Now, don't there, there's an expression there, don't go past it. That Paul and Barnabas, that they, look at this, it doesn't say they spake. They so spake. The Bible says in John 3, 16, it doesn't say for God loved the world. He so loved. He so loved. And here it says Paul and Barnabas. It doesn't say they spake. It says they so spake. Now that doesn't mean they were, they so spake. It doesn't mean they, they so spake. It means when they spake, they so spake. Means they had influence. And if you want to influence the lost people, you need God's power in your life. You need to pray for this. God, God wants you to have it. It's not something you need to plead for, but it, it is a byproduct. The influence of the Holy Spirit as He influences you. Let me give you this last prayer request, and then we'll finish up the rest later. Number four. Now, number four, this is what you pray for other people. The first three or what you pray for yourself. Pray for compassion, pray for boldness, and pray for power. Pray for those for yourself. You need these. Now let me give you the next three, but I'm just going to give you the first one, then Lord willing, next week we'll finish this prayer list. Number four, pray for opportunities. Pray for opportunities. On behalf of of, of the person you're trying to witness to, Pray for opportunities. Now clarify what this means. Whenever you give the gospel, it's not a memorized presentation. It means that you are attentive to to seasons of the soul. It means that God gives you discernment. 
Now, what would cause you to... First of all, evangelism is not an event. Salvation is an event. Evangelism is a process. Now, what would cause you to be attentive to a season of the soul? Because this, this is work. It's compassion. And the reason we fail at this is we haven't asked for help in the first three areas. We don't have compassion. But when you have compassion for the people, you're looking for these specific opportunities. And I've taught you this so much in the past, but evangelism is a process and God uses a metaphor, an agricultural metaphor of growing a crop of the process. And we have, have taken the acronym CPR to illustrate this, cultivating, planting, and reaping. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I ask you to turn there, look at it with me. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, see this, but God gave the increase. Paul started the church at Ephesus. Apollos became the pastor later. Apollos was a better preacher in terms of of verbal giftedness. He was a golden-mouthed orator. Paul planted the church. Apollos came along and he watered it with the Word of God. But God is the one, he, He's the one that gives the increase. He used both of these men. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth anything, but God that giveth the increase. And then he hits the same nail on the head with different words. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. We're on the same team. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are laborers together with God. This is a team effort, and it requires work. Look at verse 8 again. He that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Sometimes you'll, you'll get involved in evangelism and you will, you will be cultivating. You'll be tilling the land, pulling some rocks out, moving the topsoil. You're not sowing anything. You're not planting the seed at all. Sometimes you're just being kind to the waitress, learning your name. And, and sometimes apologizing for people that have done it wrong. There's a whole lot to cultivating. This is a part of evangelism. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 4 and verse 36. He said, He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both, and here's the team, he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying, True, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you be sowed no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered into their labors. Sometimes we reap and we didn't do the work. Somebody else did all the work. When I was in Bible college, my roommate came in. He'd been working in a church and 
And he said, my pants are falling down. He said, what's he doing up there? I've been losing weight. My pants are falling down. Pants on the ground. Pants on the ground. Pastor's in the pulpit with his pants on the ground. You need to come see my pastor. His hair. And that's all. My, My roommate came in and he said, real proudly, he said, I won somebody to the Lord today. I said, you did? They said, well, good. I said, well, tell me about it. He said, "They well, they, they came down the aisle, and I took the Bible, and I, I won them to Christ. Words mean things. Words can make you a Pharisee, too, but I thought I'd help him. I said, well, did you win them to the Lord, or did you lead them to the Lord? Well, I won them to the Lord. I said, well, it sounds like you led them to the Lord. Somebody else had done all the work, like their mama and their daddy. And I wasn't trying to knock you down. I was trying to, words mean things. I'm afraid sometimes we think, I want them to the Lord. I think they were, they were ready to go. You just kind of said, boop. Somebody else did all the other work. And you entered in on somebody else's labor where you didn't do labor And somebody else did a lot of cultivating and planting. Thank God for, listen, don't misunderstand. I thank God where you reaped. But don't you get around where you say, I'm a mighty soul winner. I appreciate what you did. But there's some mighty cultivating. Some mighty planting going on. Look, Look, we're a team. We're a team. You say, which is the most important? They're all important. And we're to cultivate, and, and, and here's what you do on your prayer list. And this takes us where discernment comes in. On your prayer list, I want you to write down where are they? Do they need to be cultivated? Or do they need the seed sown into their life? Or do they need to be reaped? Do they need to harvest? Where are they? I think I'm going to stop there and finish this up next week. But I want to challenge you right there. Cultivate, plant, and reap. Where is this person? Because that requires compassion. And and just, just write their name down. Where is my daddy? Some some of you, your daddy, he knows the gospel. My father-in-law, Paula's dad, he knew the gospel. But he needed some cultivating. He had had a betrayal years earlier. and He wasn't going to respond to his wife. And sometimes uh, she would ask him to go to church and, nope. I remember early on being in that church and, one Sunday night, he walked in, and he didn't tell Paula he was coming. He didn't tell his wife he was coming, Paula's mother. He walked in. And I'd been in their home before, and I'd met him. I knew him, but I'd never seen him in church. He hadn't been in a long time, had he, Paula, that night. He was going to come on his terms. In 1981, Paula took a group of cheerleaders back to Dayton 
with her friend, and they were going to a camp to teach the kids how to cheer camp. And uh, she said, I want you to pray for me that I'll talk to my daddy. I, I got to know my daddy's saved. And so she found an opportunity, went, went into her home, and she told her mom, she said, you need to go shopping. Just go out, and I want to talk to dad. She told, told her mom what she was going to do. And she poured her heart out to her daddy. Listen to me in compassion. In compassion. After her mother had passed away, about six years later, they had moved to Florida. and Miss Hall had passed away, and her dad was just miserable. Living in Pensacola, Paul and I were down there visiting with him, and I told her the same thing. I said, you need to go shopping. And she went, and I sat in a chair by him, and I talked to him about his soul. Listen, you need to know where people are. But it takes compassion, not just in the presentation, but in the consideration. Where are they? Maybe it's time to reap. Maybe it's time to sow the seed. Maybe it's time to cultivate. Maybe the cultivation season's over. Write these names down. Pray for them. Pray for compassion. Pray for boldness. Pray for freedom to talk. My daddy had a man that worked for him for years and loved this man. I got burdened for him. I went to the went up to the lot. Great purpose. I put my arm around him. So I want to ask you some things. I began to talk to him about the gospel. And uh, he listened to him and he looked down. A couple of years later, I got a call at home that <clears throat> he had passed away. He lived on the property where my dad worked in a little trailer there. We lived about five minutes away. I got in my car, went up there in the morning and walked in the door. And I saw my dad's friend there laying down. He'd been gone about 12 hours. He's a cold rigor mortis. Looked like he'd just fallen asleep. Went home and I called my dad. He's gone on a bus trip. I could hear my dad's voice catching, driving a bus. I did this man's funeral a few days later. In the process of that funeral, I shared that conversation I had with him on the lot of my dad's uh, workplace there. But how that I, I shared the gospel with him, told him what I said. We left the funeral home. We went to the cemetery and had the graveside service. People gathered together. We were getting ready to leave. And a young man came up to me. He said, uh, I, I enjoyed the funeral service. He said, he was my uncle. I'm a Christian. And I noticed when you, when you shared that story, 
when you talked to my uncle on the lot, you never shared what he said. When you shared with him about Jesus and how Jesus died for him, you never shared what he said. I said, son, I didn't because he didn't say anything. I said, you know, one reason I shared is I wanted to tell people the gospel and how that they could be saved. I said, but I want to tell you this. I know he knew how to be saved. And I said, who knows what he did with that seed in his heart. We don't know what he did with that. That young man with tears in his eyes, he said, thank you so much for talking to my uncle about Jesus. Cultivate, plant, and reap. Compassion, boldness, and power. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we leave here today, I pray that we would scatter all over Huntsville, not just today, but this week. May we be a compassionate people.